Welcome to HR in 15, a podcast dedicated to addressing the complexities of modern HR in just 15 minutes. Brought to you by Prestige PEO, simplifying HR. Hello, and thank you again for joining us for another exciting episode of HR in 15. I'm your host, Eric Fudum, Chief Operating Officer here at Prestige PEO. We're joined once again by Kim Balerba, partner at Ruskin, Moscow, and Faltacek PC to continue our discussion on how employers can best address employee concerns as they return to the workplace. While reopening is a positive sign for small and medium-sized businesses, there's still a lot of hesitation on all sides. Although employers are preparing to have their employees return to the workplace, the pandemic is not over. It's not over by a long stretch, and employees are beginning to voice concerns around their health and safety. Thank you, Kim, for joining us again. I got a question for you. What's the hottest topic you've been uh, hearing from your clients lately? Well, Eric, thank you for having me uh, once again. And uh, I would say most difficult and hottest topic that employers are uh, hitting me with in the last couple of days have really been getting employees back to work um, and all of the difficulties that surround the, the new guidance and what needs to be done in order to get employees back into the workplace. Makes a lot of sense. And we are going to uh, talk about some of the issues with uh, having those employees returning to work and, and what that might look like. So let's get right to it. Kim, as employers communicate their return to work plans with employees, there's some challenges already presenting themselves around managing employee leave and accommodation related issues. What type of rights do employees have if they get ill? Um, and, and I'm kind of trying to get a little bit of color on um, the federal FFCRA legislation, as well as the ADA. So that's a great question. And a lot of employees are, of course, concerned and continue to be concerned about getting sick and what kind of time off they have available to them. Effective as of April 1st, the Federal Families First Act became effective. And that act provides for Ill, uh, pay for those who are ill up to the amount of $511 per day for up to 10 days. And the benefit, of course, for employees is that they can receive this compensation. And for employers, the benefit is that although they have to pay it initially out of pocket, all of that money is refundable through tax credits. So it really doesn't come out of their bottom line and employees are getting the benefit of, again, up to the $511 per day. And in addition, they are not allowed, employers cannot require employees to use their own PTO first. So employees can retain any PTO they may have available in case they have a subsequent illness or some other issue that they need to use it for. Um, and that, so that's the Families First Act. There's also the ADA, which is the Americans with Disabilities Act, that may provide for other forms of leave and as an accommodation, depending upon whether the individual has a disability um, or needs some other type of accommodation. And are there any um, type of state, I guess in this reference, New York State um, situations we should be aware of? Sure, so under New York State law, there's also um, the potential for paid time off for somebody who has a quarantine order from a governmental entity. Um, and there's also paid family leave. And paid family leave um, combined with state disability may provide additional payments for individuals. 
Excellent. So really, in summary, at, at the federal level, if someone gets sick, um, they're going to be eligible for full pay for 10 days and then at, at maximum $511 per day. And then basically an employer can take the tax credit. So they're not out of pocket, like you said. I think that's amazing. I think that's really a nice generous benefit for for both the employee and the employer. Really, really, really makes a lot of sense. Um, I want to shift over to um, child care concerns because that's been a really hot topic um, for, 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 from our client perspective, and I'm sure yours as well. Um, and now that we know that, as we probably are a little frustrated, schools have been closed the rest of the year. Um, we're not even sure if they'll be open, you know, in the, in, in the fall yet. Um, um, sleepaway camps, overnight camps have been canceled. Certain day camps, I guess, are opening. Um, same thing with um, daycare facilities. Um, some are opening, some are not. What, what should be general concerns from an employer regarding childcare? Yeah, so as you said, Eric, that is a very big issue for a lot of employers who have employees with children. And so, you know, now with the recent um, information from the governor concerning camps, you know, there are some camps that are open, but many day camps had closed even before the announcement came that camps could open. So this concern about childcare, which I think a lot of people, a lot of companies, a lot of my clients were, were hoping would no longer be an issue once the school year ended, the issue continues. And so one of the things that employers have to really think about when they are considering scheduling and reopening and workforce management generally are those employees who may need to take additional time off in order to deal with childcare issues. And so, as you mentioned, even daycare facilities may be closed or other childcare um, individuals even perhaps who were providing childcare, if they're unavailable and there's no one else to watch a child, then under the same Families First Act, which provides benefits for employees who are ill, it also provides for caregiver leave. And so the caregiver leave is for a maximum of up to 12 weeks at two thirds of the employee's pay to a maximum of $200 per day. So technically there's a two week period first under the earned sick pay, um, which the Families First Act is divided into two segments. It's the 10 days, the two weeks of um, earned sick pay, which is what we were just talking about with the employee's own illness. And so that caregiver leave also can be taken during those two first two weeks, which again is two thirds of pay to a maximum of $200 per day. And then there's an additional 10 weeks available of expanded FMLA in which employees can take that time also to care for their children at that same benefit rate, two thirds of pay up to $200 per day. So on the bright side for employers, um, again, this dollar amount is refundable through tax credits, but on the downside, um, they, it does make it potentially more difficult to manage the workforce when there are employees who may need to take up to 12 weeks of time off. So I think the, the best solution for an employer that has employees with, with um, children and childcare concerns, well, there's, the good news is that there's options available from the FFCCRA and um, FMLA, um, and there, it doesn't mean that an employee can't work. They just have to kind of, each employer should be working with their employees to 
yet kind of figure it out. And then they have these protections as well, which I think is, is very, is very valuable. Would you, would you agree? I do agree. And, you know, one other thing I want to mention that for small employers, for those with under 50 employees, there is the possibility of an exception um, where they may not have to offer the paid leave for the childcare purposes, not for the employee's illness. If, it, if they could demonstrate that it would jeopardize the viability of the business as a going concern, and it's a fairly high standard, um, I think probably for somewhat obvious reasons that the government right now and um, our state as well is looking to have employers and employees work together collaboratively to, to make things work. Um, but there is this a possible exception if having everyone out on a, a childcare leave would create a, a serious problem for the business uh, to continue operating. So that's something that has to be looked at on a very individualized basis, but it, it is out there that um, small employers should be aware of. 100%, absolutely. I want to uh, shift over to other forms of accommodations, um, such as um, individuals with disabilities or at high, high risk who work in a role where, um, you know, working remotely is impossible. What, what should employers do or, or should they think about um, at, for safety as they return to the workplace? What, what are some of the ADA concerns or like how, how are employers supposed to manage high-risk individuals in general? So in general, the guidance right now is that anyone who's high-risk and there's a, a list of um, pre-existing conditions that may qualify someone as being high risk and you know we're all learning uh, pretty much every day something new or and there's new guidance every day sometimes flip-flopping on the guidance concerning um, what may or may not create um, a more significant concern for individuals as it relates to covid but the general rule is right now that you know if someone can continue to telework and they're high risk the guidance is to allow them to do so but to the extent that they're not able to, the ADA does require that the employer work interactively with the employee like they would any other time when there's an interactive process required for ADA accommodations to figure out whether there are other steps that can be taken. So, for example, you know, if you have somebody who's on a manufacturing line or production line and that person is in the middle of the line in between tons of people, but if they could be moved, you know, to the end of the line where there's possibly more space available, you know, that's the type of accommodation that can probably be done and it would be deemed reasonable. Or to the extent that they could be given maybe more of an isolated office location or somewhere that there is more physical barriers available, you know, plexiglass or some other type of um, sectioning off material that could allow that individual to not have as much contact with the public. Or for example, if somebody works in the front desk at, at a location where they come into common contact with a lot of visitors or customers coming into a location and they could be moved more to like a back office location where they don't have as much interaction with the public, all of those are out there as possible accommodations. So I think so, the, the guidance really is work with the employees that companies have to really try and just figure out what might work best. I think you uh, said a, a word that was that really resonated with me in terms of reasonable. I think employers need to use the kind of the reasonable, logical like standards when when kind of you know changing a little bit of how of these accommodations that they're kind of making, right? Just has to kind of make sense, right? Is that kind of fair? 
Yeah, it has to make sense for the business and for the individual. And so, you know, with us, with other ADA accommodation requests, the employer can require information from the doctor about what would be something that could work for that individual. Um, and also, again, work with the employee. And I think that that's really been something that has come to the fore in, in terms of the guidance that we've seen and just even in discussions with my clients and, and talking about how they're dealing with their employees. It's talking to the employees about what might make them more comfortable in order to allow them to come back to work. That makes makes a lot of sense. Um, I just want to hit on um, a few more topics in terms of returning to work. What um, if for employees that are actually not returning to work and 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 working remotely or continuing continuing to work remotely, what are the best practices for them to do so? So there are a number of issues that you know I think have really come out as we've done a lot of virtual work over the last several months. Um, one is the importance of timekeeping, and this is something that, you know, is particularly important when you have remote working because the potential for off-the-clock type of work is much greater. And I, I think, I don't know if, if you have felt this way, Eric, but I think that as I've been working remotely um, over the last several months, I found that the, the work day doesn't quite have a beginning and an end. It's it sort of because we're home all the time. It kind of has morphed into like a, a never ending work day a little bit. Um, yeah, like 15 so hours fine. a day. It's all good. <laughs> Which for exempt workers, that's, that's possibly okay, at least from a wage and hour standpoint, but it's not okay for non-exempt workers because it's important to remember that all time that non-exempt workers are working, um, whether it's remotely or in an office, that has to be recorded and that overtime applies the same as if they were in the office. You have to make sure that their time is entered properly, that you have good companies have good mechanisms for having the time recorded, especially again, remote. It's, it's easier when you know your office is open from let's say nine to five and nobody's working outside of those hours. But when you don't have that um, and you have the remote component to it, it's much more difficult to keep accurate track of, of people's time unless you have a good system in place. So that's really important. And then I think just from like a managerial perspective, it's important to be involved and to stay engaged with employees. So, you know, for managers just to be reaching out, making sure people are okay, making sure everybody is involved um, and engaged in the work process because it's sometimes easy, like a little bit out of sight, out of mind. And I think it, it works a lot better uh, the workforce generally and productivity when you have employers who are continuing to engage with their employees, particularly when they are remote. I think you're going towards communication, communication, communication. As managers and employees communicate together, um, they will be more productive. I, I full heartedly think that's uh, mission critical. Um, and then one final uh, question for you, Kim, um, social distancing. What are some of the social distancing measures and that you're seeing um, as as companies are kind of either returning to work, um, you know, you know, in 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 that scenario? Sure. So that really is has I've seen through my clients is dependent upon the particular workplace, but there are a lot of things that people are doing in order to try and ensure that, and some of that has been. Um, reconfiguring office space, reconfiguring people's desks locking off locations within the office where social distancing might not be possible. For example, 
you know, if you have a, a small kitchen or cafeteria within the office, a lot of clients are taking the chairs out so people can't sit in there, putting maximum limits on conference rooms, trying to eliminate in-person meetings to the extent possible right now, and continuing virtual meetings, even if you're in the office. Um, so it's, you know, it's kind of interesting to go into the office and then have a Zoom meeting with the person that might have the office next to you. But I think these are things that we're going to be living with for the time being. Um, other things like bathrooms and, and uh, restroom facilities, a lot of companies are blocking off every other stall, every other sink, putting maximum capacities on how many people can go into the bathroom at one time. Same thing again for kitchens, um, removing common touch things like coffee machines, water machines, microwaves, bedding machines. So, you know, I think uh, out of this, people bring their own lunch that doesn't have to be heated up in a refrigerator bag because um, a lot of these hot, to uh, hot touch areas are just not going to be available for employees right now. Right. There will be definitely some changes. Whoever thought it would be so difficult to go to the bathroom, right? Yeah, or get a cup of coffee. Like maybe that's why less coffee, less coffee, less bathroom use, right? Yeah, maybe that's the uh... that's that's the way to go. <laughs> yes, it'll it'll re relieve that responsibility if I may. Yeah. Um, hey Kim, did you have fun today? I did. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. And thank you so much for all your amazing insight. You you've been outstanding. Um, we oh, hope you, you found our conversation today to be informative. You can check out more episodes of HR in 15 in the Resource Center at prestigepo.com. We hope you join us again for another exciting episode of HR in 15. For questions or more information on today's topic, visit prestigepeo.com.